And we're, we're talking about breaking things the past couple weeks. Tonight, we're talking about breaking intimidation. Breaking intimidation. You know, the word of the Lord has an answer for everything. Did you know that? The word of the Lord has an answer for everything. I know that our world has been struggling with um, what seems to be extremely easy questions. Like, what's a woman? Or what's the difference between a man and a woman? <clears throat> Did you know there's an answer for that in the Bible? Did you know there is? This is not a part of my lesson, so don't look, don't, don't look and try to find it. It's in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25. Have you ever, do you want to look at that real fast? Be careful. Turn to it, even Bible or app or something. Look at it, Proverbs six twenty-five. There's a difference between a man and a woman. It's right there in the Bible. You may have never known that. If you got it, say, I got it. If you don't have it, say, hold on a minute. <laughs> I love the honesty. You there now? You got, you got it now, everybody? Okay. Proverbs 6.25, what's it say? Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. There you go. Evidently, women have something men don't have. Eyelid powers. I don't even know how to work them. But women do. I'm telling you what, according to the Bible, you want to be a godly man? You better shield yourself from eyelid powers. Watch it. Just protect. Say, God, please cover me. Keep me. Men, men can't do that, but women can. There you go. It's in the Bible. Boy, we could just solve so much it's in the Bible. All right. You know what? That, it's fun. It's fun to laugh. It's fun. And when you walk out of here, you're going to be looking at each other saying, whoa, eyelid powers. Careful. Watch it. God, protect me. Put the shields up, Jesus. All right. We're getting it. We're actually going to be serious. Talking about breaking intimidation. And I'm praying this prayer. I'm praying this prayer the entire time I've been thinking about it. Lord, I said, help me to be sensitive to your spirit in the areas where people that I'm, that I'm talking to are fighting with intimidation. I pray the Lord brings it to your understanding that the battle you're having is with the spirit of intimidation. It's, you know, I, at first when I got into it, I thought, how am I going to find this topic in the Bible, that word does not appear in the King James. How am I going to teach on breaking intimidation? Where do we even start? And after I begin to dig in, I find it's everywhere. It's all through the Bible. That's how it works. So here's, here it is defined because it's very important to have a working definition of the phrase or the word intimidation. It's the act of making fearful. Fear excited by threats, the act of making timid, that's the intimidation part, by real or implied threats from people or situation. So it's making you feel timid from real or implied threats. Now, how is this different than fear? Very important because that was my question. I mean, I just did fear. We just did breaking fear two weeks ago. Pastor talked last week. Here I am talking about intimidation. How is this different than fear? To fear is to be scared. But to intimidate is to cause anxiety, 
and get someone to do what you want or establish dominance over them. Dominance. Hmm. Now I'm getting a clear picture. Dominion comes from the ruler or king. Remember, we just learned that when um, Brother Morgan was here. Remember that whole conversation about dominion and kingdom is king's dominion. That's what the enemy of your soul wants over your life, his dominion. So that's why it's beneficial for him to intimidate us. He, he exerts his strength, his control, his intimidation keeps us under. That's what his desire is. Actually, the old phrase, the old word we used to have for intimidation is to be cowed or to be cowing. That's that, that, that reaction of, of being fearful, to be, have anxiety. That's what intimidation does. There are people that love God, even in this room, and maybe you, that battle intimidation today. However, most do not confront the source of it or even realize that there is actually a source to the stronghold in their lives. Amen. Now, there, there, are two, there are two errors, two ditches on either side of the road that people fall into when it comes to the devil. And they're equally as bad. And the enemy, the devil, is as happy with either one. On one side is to believe that there is no devil. That's, that's an error to fall into. But on the other side is to believe there is a devil and to see devils in every situation and become really infatuated and interested in the devil. Both of those are errors. Both of those make the enemy happy. We've got to recognize we have an enemy. That is true. He doesn't control us. He doesn't have power over us. But one of the things that are important to the enemy is typically to remain incognito in your life. To pose thoughts and questions as though it's your own mind asking them. That's how the enemy works. This is how the enemy produces dominion in your mind and my mind. First Peter says it like this. This is the amplified version. Be well balanced, temperate, sober of mind. Be vigilant and cautious at all times. For that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a lion that's roaring, that's fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. He walks, upon, walks about searching, roaring with intimidation, and seeking to devour or destroy. That's his de- desire. So whether you recognize it or not, the enemy wants to use intimidation in your life to make him do what he wants you to do. To establish dominance over your life. All right. So let's find intimidation in the Bible. Let's see what the Bible has to say. John 12, 42 is a textbook example of intimidation. Remember, Jesus is at this point walking about. He's healing. He's speaking. He's teaching. He's doing miraculous things. And nevertheless, the Bible says, even among the rulers, these are the leaders, many believed in him. That's excellent. They thought, I put the pieces together. This is the Messiah. It has to be. Who else can be like this? They even ask questions like that. Who else raises the dead or gives sight to the blind? Who else speaks like this? Hold on. That's not the end of the sentence. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. That is a textbook example of intimidation. They had it in their head. Okay, it's head knowledge. I understand. I've come to the understanding. 
Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. I believe it. But they did not confess it. They didn't tell anybody about it. They, they walked about pretending as though they didn't believe it because they were afraid that they'd be kicked out of the synagogue. That was, to them, life. It wasn't just kicked out of church. The synagogue was where everything happened. Business meetings happened. People got to know each other. All kinds of things happened in the synagogue. And to be kicked out as being outcast of your community. Because of that fear, they weren't going to confess him. That, that's, that's unfortunately true today. There are unfortunately many people that have come to some knowledge of the Lord that believe it but are afraid to act on it because of those in their life, their community, how they'll react. What will my parents say? What will my husband, my wife say? What are my kids going to say about this if they see me you know, going to this crazy church? There are people that come to our church, and I know this personally, cry and weep and feel the Holy Ghost and feel the move of God, but are afraid to take a step. They're afraid to make a commitment because, oh, they feel God, but, oh, that would be a life change. What would happen? And that what would happen question is a perfect enemy question. It doesn't have to make sense or even be, be, be answered. It's just what would happen. The Lord has an invitation, and, and, and the enemy wants to put them under that intimidation. Look in Romans 8.31. That's a perfect answer for all of us, a perfect answer to any intimidation we feel. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. I've got to read it with me. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Hmm. It's easy, though, for me to say it up here. It's easy. What about when you're in that situation? What about when you're really facing intimidation? So the Lord brought my mind and my attention to this book, this chapter, Numbers 13. Numbers 13 contains the perfect story of intimidation. Hmm. You remember these guys? Anybody in the building remember these people? Eagle, Palti, Gaddy, Sether, Nabi. Everybody knows those people, right? Famous Bible heroes, characters. If you know them, it's, oh, I'd be, I'd be scared of your Bible knowledge. Nobody knows them because they let intimidation control their lives. Now, what about Caleb and Joshua? Oh, yeah. Everybody knows them. Right. All 12 of these men, and some that I didn't mention because I can't pronounce their names very well, were gone for almost six weeks. They evaluated the same challenges. They handled the same grapes. They watched behind a bush or a stone wall the same giants. They all saw the same things, right? The first group examined the facts, both the good and the bad, but became intimidated when they realized the worst of the situation, and there was a lot of worst in the situation, the first report they gave when they got back, believe it or not, was accurate. Now, if you met these guys, they would say, look, we're the kind of people that just, you know, we don't beat around the bush. We tell it straight. If it's ugly, we say it's ugly. We don't call it beautiful. If we're weak, we say we're weak. They just, we're looking at the facts. We're looking at what's there. And what they said was actually true. We went to the land where you sent us. Numbers 13, 27 to 28. It truly flows with milk and honey. 
And this, this huge grape vine they had to carry between two of them, this is the fruit. Nevertheless, the people in, that dwell in the land are strong. They're powerful people. The cities are fortified. We know that's true. When they got to Jericho, there was a mighty wall, right? That's not, that's not factually wrong. And the, these are very large cities. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, or those are giants. Nothing here is, is factually wrong. Nothing here is factually wrong. They just missed one major part of the equation. The only thing that prevents us from being destroyed from intimidation. What did they miss? They missed a heavenly perspective. They, they did see here and there and over here and over there. They looked all these directions and had, they had it right. They missed that direction. What, what does that direction have to say? Because that changes it, you see. If, I, if all I bring to you is facts about your situation, and we focus on those facts alone, any person becomes intimidated. They haven't changed in a year. They haven't changed in three years. They haven't tra- changed in 25 years. Those are facts. I've prayed for them, and I haven't seen anything to happen yet. My loved one is still sick. I keep praying. They're still sick. Hey, I, I believe in God, but I, I've tried to, I'm given, but I haven't seen the answers yet. These are facts. These aren't lies. These are true things. I see, I see, you know, there's a lot of good here, Lord, but there's a lot of bad. And the bad is, well, is a lot of bad. And if, I, if all I look at and focus on are facts, and all you look and focus on are facts, you are going to be intimidated. What did Caleb say? What did Joshua say? They did not even argue. They didn't say, no, 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 they, these guys are lying. That's not true. There's not anything bad in the, in the, in the land of flows and milk and honey. Canaan doesn't have any giants. That's a lie. They didn't say that. They didn't argue and say, no, there are no fortified cities and their people aren't strong. They didn't, they didn't say that. He simply said this heavenly perspective. He included a heavenly perspective. What does God say? Let us go up and take it at once. We're well able to overcome it. In the next chapter, both Joshua and Caleb said, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, this is a great test. This is a test for all of us. If the Lord delights in us, then he'll bring us to this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Another version says they are prey. They're going to fall to us. Their protection has been stripped from them, and the Lord's with us. Don't be afraid of them. Where, where are Caleb and Joshua getting this information? It's from the heavenly perspective. It's from God's view of things. And when I add that to my situation, I can intimidation starts to melt away. All of a sudden, I can have courage to say, God is powerful. God is able. God can do it. God is listening. God hears my prayer. His scripture cannot be broken. His word cannot fail me. I'm believing his word. I'm going to stand on it. The problem is the physical realm, the rational mind, the feelings, the facts, what I can see, what I hear. 
what, I, what I'm looking at, what you're looking at, what you're living with. God, someone in this audience is saying right now, Lord, I believe in you, but when's that going to change? Lord, I love you, but, you know, I've been in this rut for a long time. I want to get out of it. God, I know there's seasons, but it seems like this season has been going on for a lot longer than most seasons. I'd like to get into a different season. Anybody ever felt like that in the whole, anybody besides myself? Okay, a couple, five, six, 25. Wonderful. It just spreads. Man, it's beautiful. The truth of the matter is, intimidation and the realm of it is when all I see are my factual inputs, all the things around me. But when I begin to include the heavenly one, and Caleb said, look, guys, this is true. Yes, they're powerful. But look at our God. He is such more powerful. He promised to give us this land. It's his word. If I claim to that word, impossible things can happen. Somebody say amen. It's factually true. We're not strong enough. We don't have all the resources. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about you. We don't know what to do next. But if God is with us, directing us, we have strength, we have resources, we have his wisdom. Amen. It is a true statement that one person that's, that's following the Lord, this one, they're a majority. Just that one. They're more powerful than all the armies of the enemy. And shockingly, not shouldn't be shockingly, 40 years later when they go into the land, we find out that the people they said were strong and powerful and in big cities and giants, those people were afraid of God's people. Isn't that amazing? All the time they said, we were afraid of you. Remember Rahab? Remember all that time she talks about, yeah, we've been, fra- we've been so fearful. We know what God has done for you. The, the, there's two groups of people fearful. One of them has God on their side, and it doesn't matter. They're not going in the promised land. Why? Because they're so bound up with what they see. They're so bound up with what they hear and see that they're going to lose the entire thing. You're going to see a scene just a short, short time later. Moses is on his face over there on the ground. On the ground. Joshua's shirt's torn. Caleb's sleeves ripped off. They're, te- they're tearing their clothes saying, don't do this. They're talking of stoning them. God's glory has to show up to stop this I mean, a massacre of the leaders. And then God says, I'm going to judge you. You said your kids are going to be killed by going in there? Guess what's going to happen? Your kids are going to survive. And everybody that's an adult that said you're, not, you're going to go back or you need to get a new leader, you're going to die in the wilderness. When your bodies are dead in the wilderness, then everyone's going to go in. Nobody wants to hear that. I don't, I don't want to have that happen in my life. Matter of fact, they, they didn't like it so much. They said, okay, we sinned, but now we're going to go into, to take the promised land by ourselves. And Moses said, I'm not going with you. And the ark of the Lord's not going with you. And God's not going with you. What are you guys doing? Well, we recognize our mistake, and now we're going to go and do it. No, you can't go do that now either. You're not listening to God. And he said, you're going to get injured and killed and hurt and chased back. And, of course, this is what happened. All that happened. They went to fight, and they, those that survived came running back. So here's the message I'm trying to get to you and get to myself. The, the easiest thing for us to do is to take in the input that God gave us the ability to take in. 
what we see, what we hear, what we understand, what we, the feelings we get. These are things that God gave us. And unfortunately, they can be insufficient when it comes to his ways. There's another piece missing that Caleb and Joshua have, a heavenly perspective, the mind of God, the promises of God. What has God said? That's what Caleb brought to the table. Joshua, here's what he's saying. This is what the word of God said. We are more than able. Amen. What does Isaiah say? And the Lord says there, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, intimidation in this story gets stronger, and it happens that way in our life. When someone stands up and responds to Caleb's assurances, intimidation mounts up. It doubles down. He said that people could take the lamb. Caleb said, God's for us. We can do this. So the ten men said, oh, well, this land eats up people who want to live there. That is totally not true. And everybody is a giant. That is completely false. That's what happens. Intimidation grows to its outside reality. Everyone hates me. No one loves me. Everyone hates the gospel. These aren't things that are true, but things that the enemy brings to us, right? We saw, he even said this, the people said this, we saw those giants, the descendants of Anak, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Did you see that? They said, we look at ourselves as grasshoppers, and that's how they look at us. We have no proof that they even talked, that they had any idea what they were saying. This is the power of intimidation. So I've got to ask you this question, and I've got to ask it to myself. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? Psalm says this. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. That's what we have to do. We've got to look up to where my redemption draweth nigh. I've got to get my eyes on the Lord. What does Hebrews say? In looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith, it's a, it is a fact of life. Whatever you look at long enough grows larger. It's only in your mind, but it's true. If you look at problems long enough, they seem to multiply problems and seem impossible. If you look at the lost condition of the world, it gets more and more dark and more and more impossible. If you look at your, at your around you, your, all of your settings and all the input, all the things that the world is telling you about your life, you can become very, very discouraged and very intimidated. But when you get your eyes on Jesus, something happens about all the problems and all the world and all the situations. They begin to just get, they begin to get dim and less. He begins closer and more and more powerful. Something happens in your mind. Instead of intimidation, you have courage to say, God, look at you, how wonderful you are. You can do anything. You love me, and you're leading my life. You are my shepherd. You're in control. You're the manager of my life. I'm trusting you, Lord. That, that, what a powerful prayer that is. What a change it is in my life. Jesus, close your eyes for just for a moment. Take a minute right now. Lord, 
Help me right now. Let me take my eyes, Lord, off of what I see of my situation, what the enemy is showing me, Lord, and what is intimidating my life, intimidating my faith, intimidating my walk, shutting me down, Lord, putting me, Lord, in a corner and just being quiet. Oh, Jesus, help me to focus on you. Look into your eyes, Lord, your glory, your grace, to focus upon your kindness and mercy to see the love of Jesus Christ for my life, to recognize your power and ability. Your scripture is so powerful. Lord, even heaven and earth can pass away, but your word will never pass away. You are an awesome God. You're worthy to be trusted. You are a good father. You are the good shepherd. You give your life for the sheep. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come on, someone, just for one second, just say, I love you, Jesus. I trust you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I want to look up and see, Lord, your power and might and dominion. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, Lord, oh, Jesus. I, I, have, a, I have a lesson here. I really do. But you know what? This lesson is not as important that I get through all my steps as it is that I get you and me to Jesus Christ. We've got to be in that place. If you could see the throne room right now, and if I could, how our lives would be different, how our mind would be different. To see him in his power and might and dominion. To be there and see the angels crying out, holy, holy. To, to see those elders falling before him, laying the, their, 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 their crowns at his feet. Oh, God, what, what a change it would put in our step in our heart and our mind, how intimidation would be just brushed away and fall to the ground. As his power and might and ability, we just see it right there in front of us. Say, God, you are powerful. You are able. I don't understand the Lord. I don't know all he's doing. Who can explain him? Can you get, Lord, can you take me out of a jail cell? Yes. Paul's, Paul can tell you that. I, I know that story. He can take me out of a jail cell. He can make an earthquake happen, and I can be free. So, Paul, why are you in jail for two years? I don't know. I just He is my father. I'm trusting him. I'm believing him. Yes, he could bring me out of here today. I know he could, but he has a purpose. He's got me here. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to walk with him. He is a mighty God. His word cannot fail. I've got to seize a hold of that. Come on, someone, right now, even in the middle of this thing, just take a second right now and grab a hold of heaven's promises. Get a hold right now of something bigger than earth, bigger than what you can see, what you understand, and say, Lord, I know you're powerful. I know you're able. I know you're the lover of my heart and my soul. I know you have me in your hand. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I love you, Lord Jesus. Intimidation happens when we look at people. We look at a problem. We look at our life. Boy, that's tough. People don't want to do that very often. Without considering God looking at people, and don't consider God. That's how we can say things like, you know, there's, they're, they're impossible to be saved. There's no way they can be saved. That's how we look at our problem and say, you know, I guess it is what it is. I just got to live with it. It's just how life is. It's what I, it's what I got. It's my cross to bear. 
That's how we look at our life and say, you know, maybe I'm just, you know, maybe God just passed me by and working with other people. Maybe God, you know, I, I know the Lord loves me, but maybe he's just got a lot of people that are more important than me in my life. Or maybe my life is just mostly done. But how can we say those things? Because we're not considering God. We're not considering God. We're not considering his promises. We're not considering his good word. The Lord brought something to my mind this past week, and I shared it with some men. It, it was just like a, a light bulb in my mind. I thought, God, I didn't, I didn't realize it was that simple, that straightforward. But the Bible talks about men that fashioned, worked together a story to stump Jesus. I mean, they had this thing figured out. We're going to tell him this, and he's going to say, oh, I don't know what to say. That's what they thought. It's so funny. It's the funniest thing. If you read it from that perspective, I, I can imagine the meeting the night before and say, okay, let's go over it. How's the story go? Because when we tell him that story, he's going to say, yeah, that you, have, you probably have a point there. These are the guys that were, they were children of Israel. They were children of the promise like everybody else. They believed in all the Old Testament like everyone else. Just one little piece, one little difference. They were called Sadducees. They didn't believe in any resurrection. This is it. You know, this is what you get. You live, you die, you're buried, it's over. There's no afterlife. There's no special spiritual thing. There's no, you know, anything. This is it. This is, we're done. Yeah, we, we go to synagogue. Yes, we, you know, keep Passover. We do all the things. But this one little piece. So we got to find a, you know, a story to tell to Jesus to just, Oh, he'll just say, yeah, you, you're probably right. So here comes the story. Master, we have a question of you, okay? There was a, a man that had a wife, and he died. And you know, the law of Moses, now this is how they, they're going to go back to the law of Moses, because they ain't messing with the law of Moses, Jesus, right? And the law of Moses says that if he, that woman lost her husband and doesn't have a child, that his brother has to go to her and have a child with her. Now, the reason for that, people all over the world hear this story and think it's horrible. But the reason for it is this. A male child meant that a woman would not have to beg for food because she couldn't get a job. She had no way to support herself. So that boy grows up and takes care of mama. That's how it worked. There is no male child. Mama's in trouble. That's why she's one of the widow that you hear in the stories, that has no food or no money or just struggling to make it. So she, she had to have a child. So he said, this story goes that the second brother, he died too before they could have a child. And then the third brother, and they had seven brothers all together, and all of them had her as wife, but everybody died, and then she died. Now, you can hear the, the sarcasm is thick in this sentence, ready? Now, when they rise... Because they didn't believe when they rise. There's no rise for them. But then they're saying to Jesus, now when, now when they rise in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Because everybody was a wife, you know, to this, all, all seven of them. To them, this story had Jesus cornered. There was no way out of it. He's going to break the law of Moses? No, he's not going to do that. He's probably going to say, yeah, you, you guys got me. That's probably, probably true. And what did Jesus say? You do err. You do err. I read that. I looked that verse, that word up, err, to go astray, to get off the path, to make a mistake, 
to be confused, you err. That's error to do it wrong because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. And I recognize the Lord spoke to my mind. That's the reason why there's error. That's the reason why I have error in my life. When I get off, when I get confused, when I'm doing wrong, it's because I'm not realizing the scriptures and the power of God. That's how the ten erred. How did they err? They had all the facts right except for one fact. If God is with you, who can be against you? If God said, that's your territory, I'm giving you a promise, then it's done. To Caleb and Joshua, the people in, in those lands and those beautiful high, high, high walls around the big cities and, the, and all the giants, they are prey to us. They're, they're, they're going to fall to us because God is with us. You do err when you don't know the scriptures and the power of God. Wow. Oh, God. Help me to realize it's not just what I know. There is a power of God that's working in my life and in yours and in this building, even right now. Mm. You know what that makes you want to do? It makes me want to pray boldly. God, reach them where they're at right now. Do a mighty work. Lord, touch them in their sickness. Raise them up. Lord Jesus, you see my faithfulness in giving. Do what your word says and direct my life and give me a, the right place to work and the right thing and pour out a blessing on my life like you promised, Lord. I'm going to have great faith because you have great power. Amen. Mm. Scour the negative report. Look through what all the ten men said. Read everything you can find and see if they mention God at all. No mention of God. Now, what did Jehoshaphat do when a mighty army was coming against him? Here's another one. There's so many stories of intimidation in the Bible. Second Chronicles 20, verses 3 through 4. And Jehoshaphat feared. Now, that word really means intimidation. He heard a horrible report. A mighty army, a powerful army was coming against him. And they said, they're on their way. Now, what he did was most people don't do. He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. So there's a lot of people. And the cities of Judah, they all came to seek the Lord. This is a mass prayer meeting, mass fast and prayer meeting. And what did he say in verse 12? He ended his prayer like this. God, for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our eyes are upon you. That's where my eyes are at. That's why Jehoshaphat had an answer. He literally said, I don't know what to do, and we do not have power. We have no might. We have no ability. We don't even know how to fight this thing, but our eyes are upon you. Wow, what a perfect place to be in. Right? I mean, to honestly say, Lord, I'm looking to you. You're the author. You are, you are the director. You're the leader. You're the manager. You're the shepherd. You're the father of my life. Do what you want in my life. Our eyes are on you. There's even a passage that even mentioned it. The Bible talks about a time when a giant came out for 40 days in the morning and in the evening. So 80 times. 
we know for sure. He came out and, defied, and, and spoke against God and the armies of Israel. This is when little David came walking up and heard it and was shocked. The men went running when the giant came out. Saul was hiding in his, in his special little area, his own little tent. There's something powerful about that intimidation that happens over and over and over again. Even powerful warriors can be found hiding after a while. I mean, 80 times, that's a lot of times to hear how bad you are and how your God isn't anything and how your armies are going to be destroyed. That, that is spirit of intimidation, though David was able to say, who is this guy? Why is he speaking against God in our armies like this? That whole story happens because of that. Even when David was going towards him, David was walking to him. What did Goliath do? Before he ever tried to kill him, he tried to hurt him with intimidation. Who is this little boy coming to me? I'm going to feed you your body, your flesh to the birds. Then think about that. Hitting your head and your mind, you're thinking, okay, look, God, he is massive. I am not massive. He's got weapons. He's got a guy to help him hold his weapons. That's how big this guy is. If you start to focus on those factual things, after a while, you'll, you'll be so intimidated, you'll go run with the rest of them. I'm telling you, this is not something that's only in the Bible 3,000 years ago. We experience this in our life today. This is a spirit of intimidation that will quiet the mouth of the church from prayer, that will quiet our mouth from testifying to others and saying, let me tell you what God has done for me, that will stop all of us from being who we ought to be. Amen. Look at all the intimidation that Nehemiah faced. In Nehemiah chapter 6, he had almost continual intimidation. And in this chapter, this is the fifth time that the servant of the, of the enemy had been sent to Nehemiah. The fifth time. What did he want him to do? They wanted him to stop building the walls of Jerusalem. Now at this point in chapter 6, they were almost done. It was close. All they had left were the gates. And that, I think that's why the, the intimidation raised to another level. You can almost feel the idea that, hey, we've got, if, it, if we're going to stop them at all, we've got to stop them now. They put those gates, set them up, and this whole wall, this whole city is protected. It's over. So intimidation poured on Nehemiah, said. First, it was an invitation to a friendly meeting. Hey, we just want to talk to you. Come and let's, let's meet. The Bible says, Nehemiah said, I thought that they meant that for harm. Something, God helped him in his spirit to be sensitive. And he said, no, I'm not going to come down. I'm doing a good work. I'm, I'm building a wall. I'm working to work for the Lord. But they wanted a friendly meeting. Isn't that amazing? That was, the, that was the intimidation. Oh, come on. Now, they next say, um, this guy shows up with a letter. And he says, I'm going to read this letter to you. Well, Nehemiah is working, of course. The man's reading him a letter and slanders him. He says, the reason why you're building this wall, it's in order to rebel against the king. That's it, Nehemiah's employer. And you want to set yourself up and take charge and be your own king in Jerusalem. Boy, now that could have been a hot button for Nehemiah. I mean, really. He had given his life, his work. They, they had, they, for days and days and days, for almost two months, they'd done nothing but just work. They, had, they, they were working as best they can. They are fighting everything. Now this is, ooh, that could make Nehemiah very angry because that is an important accusation. If the king believed that, Nehemiah would be in trouble. 
all the king's power, all of his armies to come against Nehemiah. It was a lie. It was a slander. But Nehemiah would not stop working. He said, you're making things up in your heart. That's not true. And send them away. They threatened to tell the king about this unless they had another meeting. And Nehemiah said, no, we're not going to meet. I am working. I am doing what God gave me to do. I'm not going to stop. Look how intimidation was being used to stop him from doing what God told him to do. That is a power of intimidation. And then finally, a man that called himself a prophet encouraged Nehemiah to go and hide in the temple because an attack was coming that night. You've got to hide yourself. This is a prophet. This is a godly man. This is a churchy man. He's using religious speech. Oh, God wants to protect you. You need to hide in the temple. You know what Nehemiah remembered, though? He remembered somebody, King Uzziah. He headed over to the temple when he wasn't supposed to be. Remember that guy? Remember his whole body became leprous, and he had to live outside the, the whole city, and he died with leprosy? And Nehemiah said, I'm not going to the temple. That's not for me. That's for the priest. Every move was to make to pressure him, to control him, to dominate him, to stop his work, to, to kill him, to find some way to put pressure on him away from what he was doing. That's what intimidation does. I've got this heading here that you have no idea what it means, and I did that so I could remember when I got to this point. It's called the cattle rancher and the evangelist. The evangelist went to Texas, and he's there and enjoying the service. And after that Sunday morning service, cattle rancher, who supposedly was the biggest cattle rancher in the state, said, I want you to come out to my house. I want to show you the place and, and give you a Sunday dinner. So he did. And uh, they went out, and it was a gorgeous ranch, and out in the middle of nowhere. And the rancher, after dinner, said, I want, to, I want you to see something. Go out in the porch. says, see, the, see all this ground that goes all the way as far as you can see in that direction? I own everything in that direction. So, man, that's, that's impressive. He said, well, you just check it out. Over in this direction, same thing. See those fences, see those hills? I own everything in that, as far as you can see in that direction. And he went every, all around the house. Every, as far as to the horizon in every direction. And the, and the evangelist was obviously impressed. Man, that's a lot of territory. I can't imagine how many acreage that is. Acreage that is total. But something in his spirit prov- provoked him. He said, you own a lot of things in every direction. I've got a question for you. How much do you own in that direction? Now, the reason I mention that story is because that's exactly what you and I have got to do. I understand what my eyes see. I know what's happening here. And the, actually, the, actually, I don't know enough. The more I know, the worse I sometimes feel. Have you ever felt that way? I don't want to read any more news or hear another story about some horrible thing that happened. Or some abduction. I mean, obviously it's in my life. I've got to pray about it. But there's, there's, more, there's more that I could hear about than I can handle emotionally. Truly. I mean, there really is. But the enemy wants to bring these things to me to intimidate me. The enemy wants to look at my situation and say, look at those walls. Look at the giants. Look at the people. Look at this impossibility of the situation. I, I need to think about this. What about that direction? What about this direction? What does the Lord say in that direction? Now that is beautiful. That is powerful. That's the king of glory. That's what David said to his soul. Soul, why are you cast down? 
That's this direction, cast down. Soul, why are you so cast down? Why is my soul cast down? All the things that are happening, all the mistakes I've made, all the trouble I'm in, all the problems with my family. There's a lot of answers to why my soul is cast down. He said, look, soul, talking to himself, hope thou in the Lord. Look up, he says to himself, soul, look up and the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty in battle. He is the king of glory. Amen. Amen. That's the king of glory. My efforts may have seemed puny compared to the enemy's strength, but hopefully I'm not standing alone. Amen? What is Psalms 34 saying? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Whew. Hallelujah. You cannot prevent intimidation. Both the enemy of your soul and the realities of the world can cause you to feel intimidated. The only thing that helps is when you when that happens, is to look up and set your eyes on Jesus. Set your eyes on Jesus. The Bible mentions multiple kinds of fools. You may never have looked at that in Proverbs. There, you see the word fool. The fool has said in his heart, or the fool has said there's a lion in the street. There's all kinds of fools in the Bible. But um, when you examine that a little bit closer, there's different kinds of fools. And one of those, especially if you read it in the Amplified Version, you'll find the self-confident fool. And when I read that, I was really shocked. I thought, Lord, I thought that confidence, being self-confidence was a good thing. I mean, the whole world talks about it. Even Christian people talk about you need to get self-confident. You need to have confidence in yourself. And I know that there's a level of that that's good to have, but really, is it though? Is it? What are we self-confident about? Our looks, well, I have bad news for you. The older you get, your looks are going to change. Hopefully to your husband and wife, you'll always look beautiful. But you're going to look different, I promise. To your strength, I hope you have great strength. But there comes a time in life when you'll lose strength. You have self-confidence in what? Your family? Or uh, how well you speak? Or how, well you, uh, how great a friend you are? All these things can be lost. You have self-confidence in your business or where you work, that can be lost. It's a self-confident fool, the Bible says. So where shall my confidence be? There's a confidence I can have in something that never changes. What he thinks about me. My relationship with him. That can never change. He is forever on the throne. He is the almighty God. And when I'm feeling intimidated, the number one thing you and I must do is just for a moment, be blind to this. Close, it, close your physical eyes if it helps, and remember his word. It's the word of the Lord comes to me, David said. The word of the Lord came to me. That's when, I, that's when I had victory. When the word of the Lord, I remembered, when the word of the Lord came to me, that's when I had victory. That's when I had power. That's when I had confidence. When the word of the Lord came, I remembered, oh yes, God is for me. Who can be against me? If God is on my side, what can man do unto me? 
I, I, I feel the Holy Ghost working right now. I want you to stand. We're going to take just a few minutes before we dismiss. I want you to stand right now. I feel like the Lord is working in this place. I know that many of you are intimidated in some spiritual thing in your life, and some of you don't even recognize it. You would never put that word on it. But that is the enemy's work to stop you, to stop the power of God in your life and the work of God. All this, you want to take a step for God, but the enemy would like to push you back. Raise your hands right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are a powerful, mighty God. You've orchestrated this meeting, this night, this word for our lives. You know where we live. You know what we think, Lord. You're the words of my mouth. I can't even get them out. You know the words of my tongue before I can express them. Oh, Lord, you know my prayer before I can say it. We're calling on your name for helping us, Lord. Not helping us to be stronger. Not helping us to be better. Not helping us to be more powerful, but helping us, Lord, to have faith in you, to recognize your word, to remember your promises, your precious promises. Lord, to believe your character, to know your ability, your desire to come through, and your, your willingness, Lord Jesus, to lead us even through dark valleys, to, Lord, to lead us through prison places for your glory. I'm believing you, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Every spirit of intimidation, Everything that would hinder us, everything that would stop us, everything that would be dominion over us, I pray let it be rebuked in Jesus' name. Do a work through us, I pray, and in us, Lord Jesus. Come on, church of the living God. Give him some praise right now. Call on the Lord. I love you, Lord Jesus. I'm believing you, Lord Jesus. Power of God is in this place. God is able. God is able. Somebody say that with me. God is able. God can do it. God can do it. Someone say that. God can do it. God is, he's, he's a real, awesome God. God is able. God can do it. God can lead me. God can direct me. God can pull me out of this rut. God can pull me out of this place I'm in. God can deliver me. Come on, someone, speak that out of your mouth just for a minute. Take, put it in your mouth right now. God can deliver me. God can use me. God can lead me. God can direct my life. I believe in that. In Jesus' name. That is not false. That's not pretend. That's not Pollyanna. That is the word of God. It's stronger than my senses. It's stronger than what I see, hear, and know. Amen. 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 It's a good word because it's his word. Amen. Because it's his word. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. There are people in this building that would not want to have, say the phrase, I, I am intimidated. No one would want to, few people would want to admit to that and say, I feel intimidated. But when you recognize, when you look at the symptoms of it, then you can look at your life. If you look at the symptoms, the enemy wants to have dominion to control, to quiet, to stop, to hinder. When you look at that, then you say, oh, that's what that is. I didn't recognize that's what that was. And then you can say, Lord, let me find what your word says about it. If I have a promise from God, if I have a word from God, it it doesn't matter whether I know how it's going to work out or not. Matter of fact, I don't even know how to start. 
But God does. Even Moses himself was struggled with the Word of God. Struggled with it. I mean, it's one thing to have, to have lentils and to have vegetables out in the wilderness. That's one thing that's difficult to have. But meat for a month? For 600,000 men? Likely the same amount of women? Likely two to three children per family? We're talking about millions of people here. This is, this is not even reasonable. Meat for a month? Moses' suggestion to God was, God, even if we kill all the animals... I mean, we have a, just a massive slaughter. Every goat, every lamb, every cow, everybody just, they're dead. We're going to eat for a while. But the way it worked in those days is that your future lambs and goats and cows all came from what you have. You're going to survive. You're going to have a great month, and then you're going to be starving. Lord, I, I, I don't know how meat for a month. And God said, I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God. If I say that, I'm going to provide it. You, it is factually impossible. I can't see it. It does not even make sense. There's no way. Look where I'm standing. This is called a wilderness for a reason, God. And yet God said, I am the Lord your God. If I speak it, I will perform it. I will perform it. You will perform it. I will perform it. And what did the Lord do? The Lord said, I called a strong wind, a powerful wind, and it rained quail three feet deep and miles in different directions. So they had to go out and gather, gather, gather quail, and they ate on it for a month. God can produce what's ridiculous to our senses. We're dealing with a mighty God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. It's one thing for me to say it. I know that. It's another thing to be facing the impossible, looking at it eyeball to eyeball and saying, now what was that thing we talked about on Wednesday? What was that intimidation? Because I'm looking at it. Can God ever put broken pieces back together again? Can he? Can God fix a marriage? Can God fix a house? Can God fix a business? Can God fix my bank account? Can God... I, I, I have to somehow find a word of the Lord and say, God, this is in your word. I'm going to hold to your word. You said, Jesus, the scripture cannot be broken. That's what you said. I didn't say that. You did. You said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. You said that. I want to look, look unto Jesus. I want to get my eyes on you, Lord, and off my situation. When I do, Lord, intimidation melts. It melts off like the morning dew. It's gone. I want to pray with you one last time before we dismiss and ask the Lord to cover your mind. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the people that are here. Thank you for them being here tonight, Lord. Thank you for the, what you're doing in their life. You know their lives. You know their situation. You know their battles. You know the promises you placed upon their minds, their families, their homes, their marriages, their situations, Lord, that they're grappling with and struggling with right now. I am praying in the name of Jesus Christ that a calm, clear word of the Lord come to their mind. Like beautiful light, Lord, a beam of sunlight in a darkened day, open our understanding our hearts and saying, yes, that's the word of the Lord for my life. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to cling, cling to it. I'm going to believe it for my life. I pray these saints in your awesome and wonderful name. Cover us. I plead your blood upon us as we leave. Keep us in Jesus' name.